0: Episode 0 is an introduction to give you an idea of what to expect in upcoming episodes, tell you a little bit about me, the reason I started this podcast, and give you some general insights into science that I wish more people understood, like basic rules in science or the norms in science, which will include not one but two football analogies. I love it when I can translate science into football. Even though two of my kids play soccer, here I'm referring to U.S. football. I'm not aware of any other scientist who references football. It's like some scientists just cannot seem to acknowledge that sports even exist. Uh I'm such a rebel, like what a complete and total badass I'm being right now by going against the unspoken code or something. Roll tide. Look, I have been called a biologist, a conservationist, a botanist, a bitch. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, not really, but you know, whatever a tree doctor, and an environmental research scientist. I am all of these, but I prefer environmental researcher. That tends to encompass all that I do. But I have yet to be called a comedian. My expertise is in biodiversity, floristics, and pesticide use or pesticide overuse. Floristics is a fancy word for botanical surveys or floras, as in plant surveys. An oversimplified version of a plant survey looks like this. I go to a specific area, make collections of every plant species I find, and identify all of those plant species by name. Then I would take my labeled specimens and deposit into one or more herbaria. The data from my flora is used locally, statewide, nationally, and globally in a multitude of ways. Specimens can be utilized in determining the identity of newly discovered species, to data used in plant habitat or ecosystem conservation efforts, to extending or reinforcing individual plant taxon ranges, to monitoring habitats and individual plant populations. This data can even be utilized to find other organisms. For instance, if an entomologist was looking for an insect that prefers to feed on a plant that I found in an area of my flora, then that tells us the probability of locating that insect in that area is increased. Currently, I am dedicated to adding data to the flora of Alabama and the flora of the southeastern US. I'll go into my research and research in general in the future, but if you have any questions, ask away. There are no stupid questions, and I am happy to answer you during the next episode, or I might possibly make an entire episode out of the question or comment that you submit. I'm naturally positive as an individual, and I'm also a realist. I have a hysterical sense of humor, too. Well... Maybe not even close, but I'm working on it. However, I prepared a little monologue that will give you the gist about why I started this podcast. Maybe you have felt the same way. Do you feel like everyone's been silenced the past few years and that you've lost Trust in scientists? Have you noticed the loudest voices on the climate are activists and politicians? And science podcasts and other similar shows are hosted by journalists. Now, don't get me wrong, I am so happy to see people excited about science, but... Our voices as scientists are being drowned out in our own field by non-scientists who don't even know if the guest that they just put on their TV show, their podcast, or their YouTube channel is even giving the audience accurate information it may be true it may not be or it may be half true and now that inaccurate information is being spread everywhere like it is absolute fact just because someone has a quote unquote great resume is meaningless if you've ever hired anybody for a job from a corporate position to a department head to a person to cut your grass then you know for a fact that looking good on paper doesn't mean anything. I want to know can you do the job and when I hire I know the ins and outs of that job unlike a Journalist, a politician, a bureaucrat, an activist. I mean, wouldn't you like to know the truth about what's happening to our planet? Are you tired of a world where all of our voices are drowned out by activists, politicians, bureaucrats, and journalists that are too busy... Presenting lies or half-truths to make themselves or their donors rich while destroying the planet. Yes, destroying the planet and people's lives in the process. Huh. And they wonder, from the U.S. to the U.N., why no one will get behind their climate agenda. I ask you, rebuild trust with me and follow the science, but this time we'll actually follow the science or the scientist in this case. I am done being quiet and not having a voice. This is Biodiversity Adventures. I'm your host, Melanie T. This is Not Your Average Show, and I'm Not Your Average Scientist. You're not just a listener. You're a part of something bigger. Together, we're going to create positive change. Whether you're a nature nerd or a nature noob, it's for you. Or if you're someone who thinks, oh hell, I don't even like science. I bet I can change your mind. So let's geek out together. Obviously, based on the podcast title, this is a show about biodiversity. Each week, we'll embark on a journey of genuine exploration about biodiversity. What it is, why does it matter? What's at stake if we lose it? The issues, the current research, biodiverse locations, important organisms and so much more i'll be your trusted source for everything related to biodiversity including learning about products that are more sustainable or that are just better overall choices because nothing's perfect and you'll pick up some truly valuable tools that you can utilize no matter what industry you're in or if you're retired or if you're in school. Today, I wanna start by sharing three science norms that everyone should know about science or scientists. Number one is nothing in science can be proven true, it can only be proven false. Let me say that again. Nothing in science can be proven true, it can only be proven false. And this is very hard for us to wrap our heads around because every one of us is accustomed to seeing the following scenario play out whenever we see the quote-unquote expert that's been paid to appear on the news to talk about something. And that paid expert, usually a doctor, ends up saying something to the effect of, yes, it's true. This study just published in XYZ journal proves it. No, the study may support whatever the it is that they're referring to, but it has not been proven true. One way to remember this is to keep in mind that theories and laws are the only hypotheses that cannot be proven false. No matter how many times you test and retest the hypotheses using the scientific method, the results are corroborated over and over again. Examples of famous theories are the theory of evolution and natural selection, or the Big Bang Theory, while laws are often reduced down to a math equation like e equals mc squared which is probably the most famous equation in the world and extremely popular on t-shirts i might add examples of famous laws are newton's law of gravity or the law of thermodynamics laws and theories cannot be proven false. They are the closest thing to being true. We just don't use those words in science. I'm sure at some point I will slip up on here and use the word true in the slang sense. Like when we say, I have a theory on who committed those crimes we have a hypothesis, but who in the hell wants to use the correct four-syllable word when you can say it in two? <laughs> Let me know if I ever slip up and say a study is, quote, true, instead of just saying it is supported. I'd love to know if I ever do or if you ever catch me. The second science norm is that scientists should be, let me say that again, should be ethical and unbiased, especially when it comes to talking about research and doing their own studies. Well, you know, we've had a little problem with that, and unfortunately, it's ever increasing. Whether you're whether you're thinking about the scientist who showed their biases during or after the pandemic, who even ignored or smeared some of the most amazing research happening at that time in places all over the world. Remember, there are scientists everywhere. Israel and Taiwan had several groundbreaking COVID studies that i bet you've never heard of if you did and you attempted to share them usually your profile was censored or scientists being paid to engineer or profit from pesticide studies to purposely engineer these to show or hide the desired results based on what that particular pesticide company would like to see in the data or what was acceptable. That's a shady business. And I don't consider any of these kinds of individuals as scientists. If they worked for a government organization, they should be fired and never allowed to work as a scientist ever again. They don't deserve the title. Now, on occasion, some bias does happen during studies by accident. Like when a researcher accidentally makes a design flaw that produces bias in some way. In that case, the experiment is stopped, typically redesigned, and a new study begins. When we are going through a study from the initial idea to the results, we know that science does not care about our feelings on what outcome we would want to see during the results of our study. The results are just what they are. That's it. We must block everything else out, no matter what, to be unbiased in our research. And that is very hard for people to understand how we can do that. Especially since we have seen bias the past few years. Now we've had it before then, but it was not hidden from us recently. So I've had students ask about this and usually I give them this analogy about blocking out bias when we're doing research and not letting our own feelings get in the way and being clear-headed. Imagine you're at a huge football game, and it's the end of the game. Your team needs another touchdown, and you are the receiver. The play is called, and the play is for you to get into that end zone, get clear, catch the ball, and score. That's it. If you as the receiver can't block everything out, the trash talking on the field, the fans screaming, the coaches, and everything else, if you can't block that out and focus on your job, which is just getting to that end zone and catching that ball, okay, that's a little oversimplified. There are defenders, but you're not worried about the argument you had with your girlfriend the night before you're not worried about oh I forgot to call my mom back today you aren't thinking about anything everything is out of your mind except for that one thing nothing else matters except for catching that ball that is exactly what scientists do that are unbiased and ethical For the ones who are not, I would just really sincerely like to apologize to you because most of us are ethical and unbiased, but there are some that are not. And if you are on social media and you're friends with someone who is a scientist, who is constantly not occasionally but constantly making political post after political post after political post about anything it doesn't matter what it's about even if it's something that seems harmless or sometimes it's funny chances are they're not a very good scientist because if they're concentrating that much on something political chances are they're going to be biased in their research no matter what their research is even if their research is unrelated things are always more related than you think it can lead to a domino effect affecting different things down the line. So just be aware. Number three, the third science norm, scientists read other scientists' work, their research. And I'm talking scientific researchers. We read other researchers' studies. People don't always understand how we can understand other researchers when maybe their research isn't our forte that tends to be viewed like a beautician looking at a mathematician's research paper? It's not. For instance, microbiology and botany, two completely different sciences, but there's quite a bit of overlap. Research is research, meaning we were all trained with the same experience and exposure to the other sciences, the scientific method and statistics. We study the topics of microbiology, plants, DNA, viruses. We study everything to some degree. We also study the same research techniques, study design and lab procedures it doesn't matter if we're a field researcher. We know lab techniques. It doesn't matter if you're a lab scientist. You know field techniques, or you should. That area has kind of been pushed to the wayside by department heads that are lab snobs, basically, that do not appreciate field research, but you know, a lot of us cross study while we are in school. So even if we are in the field, we are working in various university labs, helping professors on other types of research altogether different than what we end up doing. And we usually do that so that We have a leg up on the competition, which we always do, and we learn anything and everything we possibly can about science. If someone needs help in a lab or, I mean, I enjoy thoroughly, oh my goodness, I love to brainstorm future projects that combine multiple fields of science together, which is so commonplace. Combining plant IDs and DNA studies are extremely common between two or more types of scientists. But remember, if it weren't for field scientists, lab scientists wouldn't have anything to study because they're not going out in the field for the most part. Some of them do, and I enjoy working in the lab periodically. I'm just not a snob. (laughs) So, all right, and we're still discovering more new organisms every single year. We are in desperate need of field scientists throughout the world, especially right now. Back to researchers reading studies from other researchers in different fields. So I explained how we kind of cross study different fields. There was quite a bit of infighting about this during COVID. Many of us throughout science were reading COVID studies as they were printed, like hot off the press printed, like, but it was online. And we were told by non-scientists that we couldn't possibly understand the science because that was, quote, not in our field of study. So that was very irritating to all of us. And I know that that was hard for people to understand, but it was still very irritating. The analogy I like to use to demonstrate this is my second football analogy. Look at a defensive lineman and a quarterback. If you're a defensive lineman, you train with the defense. That's your specialty. But you both play football. You can't be a quarterback, but you can absolutely look at an offensive playbook and understand it. It's second nature. You might not necessarily be able to train a quarterback, but you can understand what a quarterback does more than anyone else. So really quick, the three norms in science that we just talked about where one, nothing in science can be proven true. It can only be proven false. A study either supports a hypothesis or it proves that it is false. Two, scientists should always be unbiased and ethical. Three, scientific researchers can absolutely understand each other's studies, no matter what field of science their forte is in. Just think about the quarterback and the defensive lineman analogy. Now, just to give you a little sneak peek for the first episode, we'll be discussing what in the hell is happening to our bats around the world based on multiple studies, why they're not only important, but necessary for our own survival, and why no one is talking about this. Lastly today, I want to leave you with several facts about biodiversity that will get you in the mindset for our first full episode. Biodiversity loss is the most important environmental concern around the world. Biodiversity loss the most important environmental concern. It's number one. There is nothing else that matters more. And this is the most important information that you will ever learn from me. And we're going to build off of this so that you understand just how important this truly is. The top five issues Affecting biodiversity loss are habitat loss, invasive species, pollution, population, and overuse, overharvesting. Habitat loss. That's like real estate developments, slash and burn, palm oil plantations, invasive species. Those are harmful aliens like plants, animals, and other organisms that include predators, diseases, and competitors that displace our native species. Pollution would be like industrial pollution, like the fashion industry, mining, and pesticides. Population is referring to human overpopulation. Overuse and overharvesting, that is overhunting, overfishing, overgathering, including the poaching of animals and plants. This is not talking about our outdoorsmen our regular hunters who hunt legally every year. In the U.S., those outdoorsmen who hunt annually for things like deer or elk, eat the meat, and mount their antlers and racks, they are the biggest allies for conservationists because they're also conservationists. They have a wealth. Of information on population sizes, migration patterns, they noticed notice unusual deaths in the areas that they hunt in, and new diseases. They're often our canary in the coal mine, so to speak. So the next time you run into men or women at a gas station in That are in camo, not the military style, but something a little different like Realtree or Mossy Oak and the like. (laughs) Or at the airport, inside at the counter, checking in their rifles in the long rifle boxes. Think about conservation. Think conservationist. That's who they are unless you just happen to run into a poacher, but that chance is very slim. But our outdoorsmen, they're helping with either overpopulation of a species, quite possibly providing valuable insight into a new fungus or disease affecting wildlife, or it could be both. So we definitely appreciate them. To recap, the top five issues affecting biodiversity loss are the following, and they're listed in order of importance. So habitat loss is the most crucial. Invasive species, pollution, population, and overuse over harvesting. What is not one of the top five issues affecting biodiversity loss around the world. Hmm. It's (laughs) climate change. Excuse me. I didn't mean to do that. You know, let's do that again. The one thing not listed as one of the top five most critical issues Is climate change. My goodness, pardon me. I did it again. Yeah, so we'll be discussing that topic as well. Each week, we're going to talk about different things and about what's missing. And we're going to talk about these issues in various ways, whether directly or indirectly. I am committed bringing you credible insights no more guessing if what you're hearing is accurate or not I'm here to sift through the noise and present you with verified information straight from the source and the source are the scientists and I will be posting any studies that I reference in the show notes so that you can read them yourselves if you want. I take my role as an expert seriously, and I don't make any money from this. And my goal is to provide you with knowledge that you can use to actually make a difference. Let me be clear. What I'll be sharing with you about biodiversity is, in my opinion, the most crucial information that everyone on the planet should have. Be ready to get started on our biodiversity adventure this week for an edgy inside expert take on nature and research and learn unexpected tools that could damn well save a life. I am genuinely excited to embark on this journey with you, my friend, because the world of biodiversity is like the heartbeat of the earth and we're losing biodiversity at an incredible rate. I encourage you to join me, Melanie T by tuning in and remember You're not just a listener, you're a part of something bigger. Together, just by listening to my podcast, we're going to create positive change in our remarkable world. So go follow Biodiversity Adventures now and don't miss out. I will see you this week and you can tune in and geek out.